our Bible story, as I mentioned before, is the beginning of Paul's journey. We, we missed, when we, when we heard from Randy Woodley last week, we missed the very beginning of Paul's journey when he received a revelation of Jesus while he was on the road, had a vision, and then was blinded <clears throat> and was brought into community by Christians in uh, Syria and launched himself on his great missionary journey. And so we come to Acts 16, 16 through 34, uh, and some of what happens when you preach the good news in unexpected ways and it upsets the people where you are preaching it. Acts 16, again, 16 to 34. One day when we were on the way to the place for prayer, we met a slave woman. She had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners through fortune telling. She began following Paul and us shouting, these people are servants of the most high God. They are proclaiming a way of salvation to you. She did this for many days. This annoyed Paul so much that he finally turned to her and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. It left her at that very moment. Her owners realized that their hope for money was gone. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the officials of the city center. When her owners approached the legal authorities, they said, these people are causing an uproar in our city. They are Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined the attacks against Paul and Silas, so the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothing and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in a stock. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening to them. All at once, there was a violent earthquake that shook the prison's foundations. The doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer awoke and saw the doors of the, op the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for some lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, honorable masters, what must I do to be rescued? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. They spoke the Lord's words to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them and washed their wounds he gave, he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> I was trying to imagine the songs that Paul might have been singing when he was in prison. Um, and one of the ones that came to mind um, is one of my heart songs, I would say, a beloved heart song. 
maybe of many of us, number 605, My Life Flows On, an Endless Song. I have preached this truly marvelous story from the book of Acts a number of times. And I think when I have preached it, I have preached variations on the same sermon. <laughs> and so today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to bring my zoom lens to this story. And I'm going to crop tightly around an image. And that is the image of Paul and Silas in jail, singing hymns, singing hymns to God. 
Paul and Silas in this cropped image are political prisoners. They are behind bars. They are surrounded by other prisoners who the text tells us were listening to them as they sang their hymns to God. They were singing before the miracle. Now, panning out for, for just a moment from this tightly cropped image to which we will return, panning out just slightly, after the miracle comes, when the prison doors fly open and everyone's chains drop and they are free, they stay. Not just singing before the miracle, Paul and Silas stay but all the other prisoners with them, the ones who had been listening, they stay too. The sleeping jailer awake, sees the open doors, assumes all the prisoners have left, because of course, why wouldn't the prisoners leave when the doors have been thrown open and the chains have dropped down? And so he draws his sword to take his own life. He's gonna be in big trouble after all. And Paul shouts out to him, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. We're all here. All those prisoners around them also stay. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And later, after the miracle, when the officials try to dismiss them quietly, Paul throws down his Roman citizenship card and demands a very public and personal escort. He demands to be treated with dignity, and he absolutely could have played that card much earlier in the story. <laughs> much earlier in the story, in fact, when the officials say, we, can, we as Romans can't have this Jewish behavior, and confines them to a singular identity as Jews, which they are, they are Jews. They are also Romans. They have a multiplicity of identities. So Paul could have thrown this citizenship card down much earlier in the story and probably eliminated being jailed at all, but he doesn't. This is a spiritual and political uprising that they are part of. And in the name and the spirit of Jesus, Paul is demonstrating savvy and strategy in his embodiment of the Jesus way, that empire-resisting movement. He is employing strategy and savvy and waiting for just the right dramatic moment to drop that citizenship card. So those are a couple of the really fun things around this cropped image. And I'm going to zoom back in now to this singing before the miracle, which adds to their numbers. They're singing in jail. They're singing before the miracle adds to their numbers as other prisoners stay with them versus running and join, and they join the uprising. It gladdens their spirits and they join the uprising. Clearly something is happening in this singing in the jail that is captivating. Boy, I hadn't even really thought about that. Captivate, think of that. <laughs> they end up free and they stay captive to this vision 
to this movement for justice, this moment of resistance to the empire's total power. Paul and Silas sing in the jails before the miracle and add to their numbers and gladden their spirits. Singing before the miracle is singing as strategy. Singing before the miracle is singing as prayer. Prayers of lament. Oh, we feel that this week, don't we? Prayers of hope, prayers of pleading, prayers of praise. Singing before the miracle is singing as soul nourishment. And in each of these cases, well, actually sometimes, or maybe most of the time, or maybe all of the time, singing before the miracle is more than one of these things, and often all of these things. It is strategy, it is prayer, it is soul nourishment. And in each of them, there is both the individual and the communal form of it. So for example, when I have sung before the miracle, it has nourished my soul. And when I have sung in community before the miracle, it has nourished our collective spirit. Our Mennonite Seminary in Elkhart, AMBS, puts out a scholarly journal that's called Vision vision a journal for church and theology and the most recent issue of that the spring issue of that is on the topic of music and the arts so each issue has sort of a, a thematic focus spring issue is music and the arts and i'm going to share some examples from that starting with sarah augustine our beloved dear our own Sarah Augustine, who writes as her identities, because she too cannot be distilled down to a singular identity. She's not just Jew or Roman, she's both. She writes of her identities as a descendant of the Pueblo or Tewa people and her identity as a Mennonite. She talks about how music is centrally important for both of those people groups from whom she emerges and to whom she still belongs. Reflecting on voices together, she shares, by singing with my community the songs I have known and loved throughout my life, I share experientially my sense of the sacred while engaging mutually in the affirmation of a shared identity. My goodness, can't you feel that as we're singing what is this place at long last together in this place? This shared identity and the sense of the sacred. But she saw, says, this process of singing beloved songs together can also act as a barrier of exclusivity. Indeed, for those of us here in this room for whom that's perhaps not a familiar hymn or for whom reading music is foreign or strange or doesn't make any sense. Indeed, it can also at the very same time be a barrier and exclusive. Voices together as she reflects on this new collection of hymns, strives to include familiar hymns sung easily in four-part harmony 
and a breadth of worship songs that stretch traditional identities. I am particularly moved by selections in the reconciling section, she writes, that name and deny systems of death. And you know what, Adam, I think I think I need to have this video played. I told, I told poor Adam, I've got a link in the document. I haven't decided yet if we're gonna play it. I'm gonna feel it in the midst of the sermon. And I think, um, boy, given the week, and weeks we've all had, we need to sing 143. Come now, O God. It's new to us, and so um, it may be more challenging to really notice and hear the words, but I invite you to join me Um, and Sarah Augustine, who called me to this hymn in prayer. still shrouded in sadness. Singing before the miracle is prayer, is soul nourishment. Another sister, thank you, Sister Sarah Augustine, another Sarah, (laughs) Sister Sarah Nahar, also has an essay in this collection of essays. And Sarah Nahar, some of you may recognize that name. We uh, read her essay about Black and Indigenous solidarity in our Stories of Repair um, Sunday School series put out by the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition. Sarah Nahar, in an interview, recalls a story of having learned an Indonesian hymn while serving as a delegate to Mennonite World Conference. She learned it in the Indonesian language and wrote it in her notebook and kept singing it 
in the years that followed and committed it to her heart and to her body and to her memory. And then years later, she was actually in West Papua with CPT, learning about their experience of racism from most of the rest of Indonesia, about human rights violations, and about their challenges of seeking and securing, securing self-determination. And she writes this story. We were in a meeting with some community leaders and were listening to the story of a massacre of civilians by authorities in Biak. We internationals were responding and we were also singing some songs together. And then the secret police showed up and asked what we were doing, scary. Our representatives went out and said, these folks are in a prayer meeting. They can't be interrupted. And the secret police wouldn't interrupt a prayer meeting. So the representatives came back in and said, keep praying, keep talking. If anyone knows a song, sing songs so that they can hear you and we can de delay any oppression by the secret police. We all looked around at each other and I asked people whether they knew the song, Hari Inni, and they did. And so, even though they do have their own indigenous languages, Bahasa Indonesian is a lingua franca, and so we sang it, and sang it, and sang it, and sang it, until the police went away. Singing before the miracle is strategy, it is prayer, it is soul nourishment. Thank you to these two Sarahs, mamas in the movement, for their stories this morning. Sarah Augustine connects this sort of singing, singing before the miracle, to Romans 8.26. That beloved and favorite verse from the gorgeous chapter, Romans 8. We don't know what we should pray but the spirit itself pleads our case with unexpressed groanings that's the ceb version many of us know it with the spirit interceding on our behalf with sighs too deep for words these unexpressed groanings these sighs too deep for words Indeed, in the face of climate crisis, I will sing, I will gather with you, sometimes by Thornton Creek, and sing. In the face of the devastating crumbling of reproductive justice, I will sing. In the face of the de dehumanization of refugees on our southern border, trans women of color, queer kids, and so many more, I will sing. In the face of militarized violence in Palestine, in Sudan, in the Ukraine, just to name a few, I will sing. I will sing as strategy, to grow movements of resistance to the empire's power. I will sing as prayer, my lament, my hope, my fierce practice of hope, 
my pleading and my praise to God for the uprising which Jesus invites us into. And I will sing a soul nourishment for my own spirit and for the spirit of us, the community with whom I gather, y'all, the community with whom I gather. And as Sarah Augustine, one of our own, writes, church as staging ground where we struggle together to seek justice collectively. I will gather on this staging ground with you all and sing. Amen.